Gracious God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Be seated. The end of the school term isn't easy for some students, and that was particularly true for Harry Potter. Returning to the muggle world, to a family that treated him poorly, didn't understand his magic, made things worse. As the fifth book in J.K. Rowling's series opens, Harry Potter is frustrated. He's having nightmare, nightmares and he has no one to talk with. No one who will understand the pain of his scar, the frustration of being the world's most famous wizard. No one will understand the fear he feels that evil has returned to the world. Then Harry remembers his godfather, Sirius. A priest friend of mine, the Reverend Patricia Lyons, has written a book about teaching faith with Harry Potter. And this may seem surprising to some. When I taught at a school in Honduras, the headmistress, uh, she banned the books. They were brujeria, witchcraft in her eyes. The ban, of course, made the stories more enticing, and Harry Potter was every kid's favorite story. Lyons argues that the Potter stories have a great deal to teach us about faith, about hope, about love, and yes, about evil. She argues that J.K. Rowling should be understood like a modern-day C.S. Lewis or J.R.R. Tolkien, a writer of Christian parable. If she's right... If these books are useful for teaching elements of the Christian faith, one of the strongest arguments is for the role of the godparent in Harry Potter. I won't, but I could ask you to raise your hands if you are a godparent. I would imagine that many hands in the room, perhaps the majority, would go up. I could then ask you, how many of you have a deep, abiding relationship with your own godparent? For how many of you did a godparent play a crucial role in shaping your faith? I would imagine the number of hands would be far fewer. As soon as we raise these questions of godparenting in the church, we tend to encounter a mix of pride and shame. If you feel that mix of pride and shame, know that you are in the good company of your priests. I have been honored to be asked by close friends and relatives to be a godparent. One of my godkids is the very talkative one that has just exited the church. And I am grateful to be in a church that hears a 10-month-old and thinks, yep, that's right. We act kids, we ask kids and adults to act their age around here, and we're glad when they do act their age. In 10 months, you got an opinion about things sometimes. It's an honor to be asked to be a godparent. I've been proud to stand up at the baptisms of three godchildren. And I've responded to the questions, will you be responsible for seeing that the child you present is brought up in the Christian faith and life? Will you, by your prayers and witness, help this child to grow into the full stature of Christ? Following the prayer book, I've answered these questions. I will, with God's help. And in the months and years since, I have wondered exactly how to be responsible, how to help this child grow into Christ's full stature. I'm not sure I've settled on a really good answer. I feel like a failure as a godparent at times. Godparenting isn't particularly well modeled in our society writ large. 
But today's scripture seems to point in a particular direction. Much has been made about this encounter about, of Paul on the road to Damascus. And Paul is thrown down from his horse and meets the risen and glowing Christ. Paul decides to stop leading the persecution of Christians and instead become a Christian preacher. This is perhaps the greatest conversion story in history. The road to Damascus represents an abrupt turn for Paul and a big miracle. But I would argue that the bigger miracle is Ananias. Imagine hearing from God, Ananias, go and care for the man who has arrested your friends. Go and care for the one who persecutes your family. Go to him, care for him, heal him, bring him back his sight. You can understand why Ananias has questions for God. And yet Ananias goes. He reaches out to this troubling figure. He sits with Saul. He says he has come for Saul's healing. He tells Saul that he's not alone. Then the scales fall from his eyes. This is the only story we have about this certain disciple Ananias. After Saul is healed, affirmed, and baptized, he fades into the background. But Saul never forgets. Years later, Saul, now called Paul, has been arrested for preaching. He gives testimony and tells the story of his conversion. Paul says a disciple called Ananias came to him, and he adds to the story. Paul says Ananias told him, The God of our ancestors has selected you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear his voice. You will be a witness to everyone concerning what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins as you call on his name. For Paul, the healing reached more than his sight. Paul never forgot Ananias. In Ananias, Paul encountered someone wise, someone willing to take a risk on him. Ananias' words validate Paul's vision, his sense of call. Ananias sat with the wounded and frightened man and said, essentially, you are not losing your marbles. I too have heard this voice. You have a call, a role to play, a place in this community. God will be with you. Saul needed those words. As much as he needed to see again, Saul needed his vision affirmed. He needed a mentor. He needed a friend. Dare I say, he needed a godparent. In your own life, who has played the role of Ananias? Who has mentored you? Who has blessed your vision, your call? Who has sat with you in the crisis? Who, have, who has helped you see? If we are lucky, we've had a few such people in this life. I want to make a quick mention. Next week in the sermon, I'll be talking about a writer who has made a big impact in the Christian voice in the last years, a woman named Rachel Held Evans, who died tragically yesterday. I know that she has been a bit of a godparent in an informal way to many. Her words helped shape the faith. I'll say more next week, but I know that some people are experiencing that loss today. If we are lucky, we have had a few folks in our life 
who, is, who have been mentors, who have been willing to risk giving us a shot, who have given us words. As I describe the role of mentor, I hope you have had the ability to summon some names and some stories of your own. So often these mentors come in school and in work settings, but could we reclaim the role in the community of faith? Could we practice the role of mentoring? Could we practice God-parenting, formal and informal, more intentionally? How could we as a church support, engage, and encourage good God-parenting? How can we support one another as disciples? Yesterday, a Presbyterian minister did something courageous. He named failure. The Reverend Micah Edmondson is a pastor in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the denomination that was shared by the perpetrator of last week's terrorist attack on a Poway synagogue. Pastor Edmondson said to the Washington Post, we can't pretend as though we didn't have some responsibility for him. He was radicalized into white nationalism from within the very midst of our church. Edmondson takes a risk, but it's an important risk. He names an important failure. As a church, we have a role. At times, good God-parenting is about saying yes, helping one another to hear that we are loved, we are called, we have a place. But good God-parenting also must be about saying no. God-parenting, mentoring in faith, must be about pushing back against hate, against fear. This kind of God-parenting takes courage. It takes curiosity. It takes a willingness to ask questions, to listen, to push back. We need good godparents, formal and informal. We need mentors in the faith. We need people willing to name Christianity as a way of love, not a way of violence. We need voices willing to name Christianity as a way of embracing diversity. We need folks who are willing to show our faith to be a way of inclusion for outsiders, dialogue with other faiths, embrace of LGBTQ plus people. We need godparents who are willing in the name of their faith to challenge racism, homophobia, transphobia, misogyny, and anti-Semitism. We need good mentors in faith, people willing to stand up and name what faith means and what it doesn't. In today's gospel story, Peter and the disciples encounter the risen Jesus. I've often heard Jesus' questions to Peter explained as criticism. Jesus asked Peter if he loves him three times because Peter had denied Jesus three times. And perhaps Jesus is pushing back. But today, I'm more interested in what Jesus says to Peter each time he responds. Yes, Lord, I know you, I, you know I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, take care of my sheep. Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Loving Jesus means tending others, feeding others, watching over others. I know this is hard for Episcopalians to hear at times. We don't like to talk about our faith, especially in public. But mentors are crucial to help grow faith. 
I hope you can recall someone, whether they were officially your godparent or they played the role unofficially, whether you had a long ongoing relationship or it was a short season of life, I hope you can recall someone who helped to nurture your faith. The work of the godparent often spreads naturally out beyond those who stand nearest the font at our baptism. It takes a village to raise a child, someone once said. It takes a whole faith community to raise up a saint. Your faith will deepen. Your love for Christ will deepen. Your own practice will deepen when you share your faith with others, when you feed others, when you reach out to others. Godparenting is a challenge, yes. Formal and informal, this work of mentoring, of godparenting, it's a challenge. But God's challenges often end up being the great blessings of life. One of the best models I know out there around this kind of work comes to us from Alcoholics Anonymous and the other 12-step communities. When someone new comes into a 12-step program, they are assigned a sponsor. They meet with that sponsor, they share life with that sponsor. I say it often, but the church has a great deal to learn from the 12-step communities. As Harry Potter considers his godfather, he knows he isn't perfect. At times, Sirius Black seems to avoid telling Harry everything. He doesn't have the perfect piece of advice, he doesn't have the exact right words. But Harry knows, above all else, Sirius sees him, hears him, listens to him. After all, Sirius may be the only other wizard in Harry's world that everyone recognizes on sight. In a letter, his godfather says to Harry, I know this time must be frustrating for you. Be careful and don't do anything rash. Sirius doesn't sugarcoat. He is honest, direct. He pushes back on Harry. Sirius may not have all the answers, but he does have a willingness to listen, to help Harry know that his visions are real. Harry has a central role to play. His godparent helps Harry know that he isn't alone. As we share this journey of life together, as we share this journey of faith together, could godparenting, formal and informal, play a role? When we are worried, frustrated, lost, could we seek out mentors and trust them with our stories, with our doubts, with our hopes? Could we find others in the community of faith to godparent us when we need it? Adults that aren't our parents, that don't have to play that parenting role? Could we seek out godparents who are willing to listen to us? When we see someone hurt, or nervous, or new in the faith, could we take a risk? Could we share some time? When we see a child in the congregation, a parent is struggling to parent, could we be a third voice in the room? Could we share some of our story, and more importantly, listen to theirs? Could we help name the ways God is calling them, the role they have to play? Could we walk this road of faith together? I hope so. Amen. Amen.